What does it take to raise a successful green tech fund as an emerging private equity manager? What market dynamics are working in favor of these strategies? And what are the challenges and opportunities for LPs and GPs looking to get exposure to or invest in the space? We'll be discussing all this and more with a guest interview with Unigestion's Kim Pochon and Nordic Alpha Partners Lauritz Bach Sorensen on today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. My name's Harriet Matthews. I'm funds editor at Merger Market. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing emerging managers and particularly the opportunities in green technology. While these types of emerging managers naturally face the typical challenges of any new manager when fundraising, in terms of convincing LPs to allocate capital to them, they do have some factors in their favour, including long-term trends around sustainability and the sheer volume of capital that will be needed now and in the coming years to address climate change. We'll be hearing later on from Kim Pochon from Munigestion and Lauritz Bach Sorensen from Nordic Alpha Partners. But for now, to set the scene, I'm pleased to welcome Gustav Hoymark Jensen, Senior Reporter at Merger Market. Gustav, welcome. Thanks, Harriet. Now, we often hear about the appeal of emerging managers in terms of delivering outsized returns via specialized strategies. But what would you say, Gustav, for some of the challenges for LPs who want to allocate to these kinds of areas and strategies? Well, I think, um, you know, there's no doubt about the fact that the alternative investment community has, you know, a very important role to play in this sort of entire green transformation that we're all facing. Um, and historically, you know, private equity has been one of the sort of major factors behind almost all uh, technology and, and market uh, sort of transformation, um, given their ability to, you know, take you know very sort of tightly calculated risks and, you know, uh, take on new frontiers and and, and really create growth. Um, however, you know, scaling green technology, uh, you know, in the growth and the buyout phase is, is, is very difficult compared to some of the other um, transformations that we've seen in other industries. Um, you know, we've gone through in the last two decades, a software and a sort of a digital transformation, um, basically trend. Um, and I think that's uh, very different from uh, what green technology is, because essentially green tech is um, often industrial sort of hard tech, those facilities, those factories. Um, and so it requires a lot more sort of uh, upfront capital. And also there's other measures of, uh, of de-risking that has to basically occur. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons why uh, there are still sort of very few sort of uh, purebred green tech um, investment funds out there in the growth space. Um, and there are basically hundreds of, you know, these smaller VCs uh, in, in the climate tech space. But I think LPs are going to have to look uh, very hard to find a dedicated uh, green tech fund out there. Interesting, because there, there is a fair amount in the venture space already. But of course, when you're an LP looking at your allocations, venture is not going to be considered the same as private equity. It won't even be considered the same as growth. And then you throw you know, impact and green tech in there. That could well be a kind of different bucket. So yes, I think just finding those managers uh, sounds like it is, it is a challenge in terms of the risks they're weighing up as well. And, and what about the challenges on the, the GP side of potentially just being a, a GP trying to do this type of investment and create value with this kind of strategy? 
Right. I think, you know, just as we talked about before, I mean, LPs are very, you know, very critical when it comes to risk and these sort of varying returns in the, in the green tech space. And I think many of the GPs out there, they might want to, um, but, you know, they're not really, I think, at least from what I hear or speaking to the market, they're not, you know, super familiar uh, with the space. And as I said, you know, it does require, um, I think, a different sort of a toolbox to really sort of embark on some of these green tech um, investing trends that they may want to get involved in. Um, especially, you know, growing a green tech business in the sort of industrial uh, sector requires, um, I think, yeah, you know, a different kind of value creation model. And I don't think, at least from when I speak to some of the uh, GPs that do it, uh, the conventional sort of, um, I mean, value creation models doesn't seem to to work in the same way. Um, and at the same time, you know, with a, without much of a track record, it's incredibly hard for some of the emerging uh, GPs to, to raise any real dedicated funds to this kind of strategy. Um, and I mean, we do see some of the larger GPs raise, you know, I mean, quote unquote, green funds or ESG funds with the type of focus, but um, only a you know, few of them are actually, uh, I mean, sort of dedicated to, to, to green hard tech in a sense. Um, and I think what is perhaps necessary is some sort of, you know, funds of funds program that really focuses on, you know, supporting the sort of new and emerging managers who really excel in this niche space. Um, and I think, you know, that's what we're going to hear about uh, later today. Yeah, absolutely. That brings us nicely to your interview, Gustav, uh, with Kim Pochon, Senior Vice President at Unigestion, and Lauritz Bach Sorensen, who is co-founder and senior partner at Nordic Alpha Partners, which is one of the GPs within that emerging manager program uh, that Kim Pochon is involved with. So we'll listen to that interview now, and we'll be back with you after that to discuss some key takeaways. Hello, Kim. Hello, Lawitz. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast. It's great to have you both here today. Hi, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. Um, we have a lot of ground to, to cover, so let's just uh, get right into it. Um, Kim, if we kick off with, with you and Unigestion, can you share some of the sort of perspectives on what the current market environment looks like for you? Firstly, thanks again for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here. It's definitely an unusual year, uh, but I think there are some great opportunities for, for investors right now. Uh, and let me explain briefly why. Uh, so I had a look at the fundraising numbers uh, very recently. I think the Q2 numbers uh, were just out. So I think, you know, if you just look at the aggregate capital raised uh, in the first half of this year, uh, we are on track to be on a very good year. I mean, it's already 25% higher uh, than last year in the first semester. I think the total uh, raising is roughly just below 200 billion euro. Uh, but if you dig a little bit deeper, though, yeah, the story is a bit more mixed. Huh? Uh, I think out of the 100 billion raised in Q2, 70% was just raised by five funds. And you have the largest fund ever uh, raised, you know, which is CVC9, uh, there is 226 billion, which is the super, super large. So, uh, so that's a bit, uh, that's a bit unusual. On the flip side, um, smaller and lesser known funds are, I think, are quite struggling with fundraising. I'm talking about, you know, small cap funds, emerging managers as well, uh, as capital constraints continue to put uh, a dampener on, on, on new commitments. I think, you know, the, the supply demand imbalance for emerging managers has always been there. You know, you always have uh, some LPs who just say, okay, I don't want to invest in emerging managers, uh, for instance. Um, so the supply demand balance has always been there, but it's been exacerbated by this, I would call this perceived 
applies to quality because you know in uncertain times i think people tend to go with what they know uh, and instead of trying something a little bit new and of course the scarcity of capital for emerging managers is providing I would say excellent investment investing conditions for for LPs with a dedicated emerging manager program like us because you know we can negotiate of course good terms uh, have a bit more time to to screen the markets diligence manager in some cases have also good visibility on on the seed portfolio and also in addition um, I think the data suggests also that emerging managers tend to outperform established managers in general, uh, and especially, and that's also what the data kind of is tending to prove this, is that especially in difficult vintage years, uh, they tend to outperform. And the reasons are quite various, you know, could be, you know, they have no legacy portfolios, they have more time to, to scout new opportunities, and they have also often a, a different toolkit. Um, so we believe that, that the time is right to allocate to emerging manager to, to fully grasp these opportunities. Okay, and and uh, and just on that, so I mean, your emerging manager program obviously has uh, quite the track record uh, with some, you know, investing into some of the most uh, highly successful GPs out there, such as I mean, HG, Blackfin, Archimed, Ambienta, and you've just deployed into um, Nordic Alpha Partners' new fund. Can you tell us, I mean, how basically you use the program to find the next sort of leading GPs? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, what you just said are great examples of emerging managers who have become today stars. And I really hope that Nordic Alpha Partners will be, will be a star in, in the next five to 10 years. Uh, but you know, what, what are the common denominators amongst those GPs? They have a specialist strategy. You know, they, they, they just deploy a new, what I call a new school private equity toolkit, uh, you know, for sourcing, for value creation. And, you know, cheap entry prices are just a derivative of this hard work. And ultimately, um, they have delivered and they, I think they would continue to deliver superior returns. Um, because of course, you know, I don't think that the market needs another generalist mid market buyout fund, right? So our program, I mean, only backs highly special strategies. So it's either sector focused, theme driven or with a special investment style. So, you know, heavy buy and build, deep value, the, this kind of stuff. So I think the key ingredients of our program are, you know, very straightforward. So as I said, you know, Get, you know, giving access to, to leading to leading specialists because it also complements very well uh, private equity portfolio because, you know, when you invest with specialists, you have also access to subsectors that you don't cover with generalists. And we will see later in the podcast that green tech is, is a good example, for instance. Um, and, and, and also in terms of, you know, in terms of performance, yeah, we target a performance comparable to the one of a direct investment fund. Uh, also, hopefully, with a total expense ratio, which is a little bit, little bit lighter, um, and, and also, lastly, you know, in terms of risk management, we have invested uh, in emerging managers for almost three decades. So our RIC has lived through yeah, many cycles and provides great perspective. So, in our view, if you want to benefit from increased uh, diversification, drive returns, have exposures to the stars of tomorrow, allocating to emerging managers makes sense. Okay, and I guess also this sort of scarcity uh, means also that you, as said, you look for other sort of niche areas to deploy into. And, and you mentioned the green tech uh, growth and buyout space that you've chosen to enter uh, through uh, Nordic Alpha Partners. So maybe we, if we drill down a bit more specifically on, on this GP, um, why Nordic Alpha Partners and will you make other deployments in the space through other GPs? 
Yes, yes, of course. I mean, you know, first of all, Unigestion has been a pioneer in ESG and climate impact in private equity. So we have invested in companies providing solutions to the climate challenge for over uh, a decade. And our whole investment team works, you know, working across direct, image managers, secondaries and climate. You know, we kind of share the knowledge and the ideas uh, in, in, in the team. Uh, so this cross-fertilization is, is so important. And you can mean we can invest across a couple of strategies if the right criteria are met. So why Nordic Alpha Partners? I mean, you know, we strongly believe that we need to allocate capital to industrial technology addressing the green transformation. I think, you know, let's face it, we won't address climate change with software. We need investments in hardware, right? I mean, that's, that's how we're going to, to solve the problem. Um, so, you know, I first met Nordic Alpha Partners when they raised Fund 1 in 2018. And then, you know, we kept in touch. Uh, we had a lot of discussion. I could see how they were deploying the strategy. And, you know, for us, our program does not invest in VC. So for us, it was very important that they are truly a growth investor and not the VC pretending to, to be growth. That was very important. Then we think also that Nordic Alpha Partners is a unique GP in the European landscape with highly differentiated strategy outside the VC landscape. So, you know, because, you know, traditional VCs, I don't typically uh, engage in asset light uh, concept, also consumer concept, uh, but only care for partner addresses companies which are heavier CapEx needs. So, so for us, it was very important that they were also investing in a capital efficient matter. So just throwing large rounds is tempting and too easy, but count every euro will be the key to success. So scaling these type of companies is not easy. And yeah, we believe Nordic Alpha Partners as the appropriate toolkit to, to tackle the challenges. So, so in summary, you know, climate investing is not new to us. We have done it for a decade and you know, we look forward to partnering with Nordic Alpha Partners for the next decade to come and even, even more to, to back the, the green tech leaders of tomorrow. Okay, thank you, Kim. And I think this is actually a very a sort of natural uh, handover to Lawitz maybe. Um, if we want to sort of... Uh, dig into some of the things that uh, Kim mentioned. Can you share some insights, Lawitz, into how you know, Nordic Alpha Partners has deployed in the past and also how you're looking to, to, to deploy going forward? Yes, for sure. Um, and thanks for inviting me onto this podcast. Yes. Um, well, uh, overall, Fund 1 and Fund 2 have more or less the same strategy. Um, as um, Kim said before, the, the focus of us and the establishment of Nordic Alpha was that we saw an undercated opportunity, an undercated market in the early growth around hard tech. Um, and um, when we started investing there, we, we could really see that our model was driving a lot of value. And, and when you then look at early stage growth, hard tech, uh, we really also realized that that's where all the green tech opportunities are. So we very fast actually came out as a hard tech specialist investor, but pivoted that into a pure play green tech investor. Um, and on fund one, um, we, 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 we did uh, a little correction in the beginning, but the most of the portfolio only have one asset that actually doesn't have that pure play green tech kind of profile out of 10 investments. Um, and that was really um, the proof point that allowed us when we went into the second fund saying, okay, now we're going article nine uh, on the second fund, but actually maintaining our focus on taking these green tech assets in the early growth phase and then scaling them to a, to a global play. So there's really no difference. Um, we're extending the geographics a little where it was Denmark and Germany. Now it's the Nordics and Germany that we're targeting here for, uh, for our second fund. 
Okay, interesting. And 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 just um to stay in the space, I mean, green technology has been faced with let's call it reluctant or sort of absent investors in the past. I know you you've called it the sort of the green tech valley of death because there's quite a it's hard to raise uh, financing for some of these projects. Now, can you share some insights into how uh, Nordic Alpha Partners and Unigestion is trying to bridge uh, this valley and and maybe also focus on some of the difference uh, in complexity between early stage and growth stage green tech investing? Yes, um, I would even call it a, a big chasm. Um, and I think the difference between early stage investment in green tech and growth investment is is completely two different breeds. Because in the early stage investment phase um, on green tech, you're essentially proving the technology and, and you're not building big value chains. You're not building factories. You're not having this massive capex dependency in order to, to grow your company. When you move into the growth phase, these companies are, are missing a lot of the critical components. And, and that was essentially the idea behind the Nordic Alpha model is that we would come in and would bridge, bridge the skill gap that these companies have. If you're scaling a software company to 50 countries globally, uh, I always say, how long does it take to scale a software company from, from Denmark to Chile? Well, that will take you five minutes, uh, essentially, if, if it's a SaaS-based company. Um, but if you want to do it, building factories, it will take you three to four years. So, so really, actually being a specialist in addressing this big, big, big competence gap, this capital efficiency need that you have when you're scaling big value chains is the specialism of, of Nordic Alpha and where we wanted to operate with our model. And, and that just turns out to really address one of the biggest challenges that you have with the green tech value of death, because that is real. If you look at the European environment, there's actually a lot of money going into the green tech area. But if you look at where they flow, they flow into the early stage investment space. You see very few buyout funds, very few growth funds. And we really believe that is because of the complexity. It requires a different model um, than, uh, than, than the conventional model if you really want to deal with this complexity in the growth phase. Okay, and can you try and put some words on some of these complexities? I mean, we've talked in the past about the fact that there is around like four, I think, major things in this landscape. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you look at the complexity, on one side, it's always hard tech. As Kim said, there's very few software companies that's driving the green transformation. So it's hard tech. When it's hard tech, it's heavy value chains. It's a whole different level of capital that you need. So that's, that's one element. The other element is it's always hyper growth which means that these companies, hyper growth is defined by World Economic Forum as 40% as growth year in year. So you're doubling your company every other year. Um, when you're dealing with that type of growth, while it's being hard tech, you need to invest heavily in the next cycle of expansion. So the complexity of hard tech, the complexity of hyper growth at the same time makes it very difficult uh, to, to deal with as an investor, but also as a founder. On top of that, all green tech technologies out there are transformative by nature. So the, the companies we're spotting out are the technology companies that can revolutionize conventional technologies like wireless charging, like e-mobility infrastructure, like new energy uh, producing uh, entities that are green tech. These are essentially transformative technology, which means that you are challenging conventional technology. That adds additional complexity. And the final thing is it's typically also disruption. We're investing within recycling. Recycling is essentially a disruption of the waste management value chain. New energy technologies that are coming out that can produce energy like solar, wind, everything in that value chain is essentially disrupting the value chain of the conventional energy infrastructure. And this is really the four complexities of, of scaling green tech. And, and this is where we're trying to bridge all these four things at the same time with our model. Um, so, so I think this, um, if this is what we're referencing, Gustav. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, it sounds like, uh, I mean, these sort of complexities must add some kind of uh, risk. You know, there must be a big element of risk attached to investing into this uh, sector. Now, do you take any special approaches into in terms of like de-risking and how do you ensure sort of, I mean, a high level of capital efficiency? Yeah, really. Um, yes, we do for sure. Um, essentially, I would say there are four things that we consider, um, uh, I wouldn't say unique, but at least things that that we've done in order to address this challenge of, of green tech growth. On one side, the way we're organized. So 60% of all the capacities at Nordic Alpha are fully dedicated to, to operational value creation. This allows us both to be very close to these companies that needs to deal with these complexities. And everybody in the value creation team on our side has done it itself. These are hard tech scaling experts. So, so they've been out there, they understand these dynamics, but also that they're committed to actually being in the data stream of these companies. A company that needs to deal with these four elements at the same time, the management team needs to make 200 decisions a week and, and 190 of those, you will not have the data flow in order to do so. So being close to it, the model we have allows us to be close to the, to, uh, to, to the investments um, being in the data stream and helping them to support this, uh, these challenges they have within these, uh, these four challenging areas. The other thing is um, we work with the company's pre-investment. So we work sometimes up to 12 months prior actually de-risking the companies, bringing in senior capacities, testing more accelerating business models, and actually building the full strategy with the founders to ensure that when we do put our capital into the investments, we're absolutely certain that we're on a fairly de-risked, uh, highly aggressive growth, uh, growth path. So that's true number two. The third thing is we have um, an optimized uh, value creation model. So this is essentially a toolbox that drives simplicity around hot tech hyperscaling. So it's a toolbox that is designed to create the fundamentals, to de-risk the fundamentals, and actually manage the fundamentals of, of hypergrowth. And this is something that we use and we tweak the company's strategies into this tool set. And that allows us uh, to really de-risk, but also create a language with our investments. So we know we're looking at the same challenges with the same kind of vocabulary and the same type of analysis. And the fourth thing is syndication. And this is also, I can mention, we have already done a syndication, a co-investment with, with Unigestion in one of our fund one investments. We managed on fund one to raise uh, three euros in syndication for every year we invested. And when you're going to this capital intensive period uh, or phase where, where, we, where we focus, it is important for us that we maintain that heavy leadership investment position, but that we can bring investors in to really support the acceleration of these assets. So I think these four elements are, are ways where, we, uh, where we're trying to bridge um, the, the gap of the challenges associated, but at the same time also harnessing all the opportunities. Because if you look at then the green track transformation, we're talking 150 trillion dollars of investments over the next 25 years. So this is the biggest investment opportunity the world has ever seen. And if you can bridge the delta of the green tech value of death with this way, you actually have highly opportunity assets that, that can really also drive a lot of value to the market, creating jobs and also return to our LPs. Maybe a bit later in the podcast, we could talk about you know a few of your uh, sort of tombstones or for a few of the sort of latest exits. Um, but, but for now, you mentioned that you work with the companies up to a year before actually deploying into them. Like, how is that perceived by the companies? Does that change how you know you invest into them? 
when we established the fund, we actually went out and talked to other funds uh, to to understand how they perceived our ways and ideas of working. And I remember they were very skeptical uh, at this point, saying, why would you do that? It makes no sense to work with a company six to nine months, uh, 12 months before. They're just going to run away, take what you're bringing to them and, and use that to raise money with somebody else. We've seen the complete opposite. Um, the, the founders consider what we're bringing as as way more than capital. They see it as a partnership, and um, and we're essentially locking down the assets. Um, on fund one, we we did ten investments, and nine of those were fully exclusive. Uh, and it wasn't because we didn't have other funds wanting to invest, but but because of our model, they really feel that that we're going on a journey with us. So so we actually see this as a big differentiator for us to actually secure the most interesting assets. And furthermore, beyond this, we're also seeing a trend that we didn't expect to see at this level. We're seeing actually all the early stage funds bringing their assets to us. So right now, a big part of our deal flow are early stage investors that are really pitching us to come into the investments that are coming out of now they have representative traction, they're really getting ready for scaling, but they're also realizing being green tech that these companies, these founders, they we need way more than than what they could than capital. And then they want to bring us into this. Um, we just did a recent investment in Germany two weeks ago. Very good example. Six other German investors willing to step into this. But the founders and the investors, they wanted us in the in uh, as the investor in this, and 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 we didn't have any real competition on this. We had the plenty of time to build the strategy, to build these things, and 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 then we got this investment. It's an investment called Stable within uh, also battery technology. We um, we have another asset called Spiri, uh, which is um, becoming one of of the global leaders within uh, e-mobility uh, technology, and um, and here um, we. We clearly needed syndication capital. The company had grown from 1 million euros when we were in to now they're, they're plus 20 million euros nine quarters later. Um, they're growing really, really fast, expanding really fast from one country to, to 25 countries, I think we're in now. And, and here it was clear that we'd really cracked the code of, of how to scale this company. And, and now it was about fueling uh, the, the acceleration and forward acceleration of, of this of this asset and and then we talked to 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 Kim um, um, to say okay could this be interesting uh, in order for us to do a, a syndicate investment uh, on this because we we saw this was an asset that if we didn't put the right amount of money into it we would not utilize the full opportunity and the expansive potential of, of this company so so this was actually already a very good example of of how we as a GP wants to build closer partnerships with our LPs getting them closer to our assets and allowing them also to get opportunities when we see that further syndication than the capital that we can invest directly uh, is enough in order to fully utilize the opportunities and the potential of the assets. Okay. And and maybe uh, finally, how does it feel? Because I guess that Unigestion brings a lot of other things than just, you know, money to the table. I mean, you're in a, this great fold with, you know, these other sort of great, um, not peers yet, but, but you know, great names in the industry. Um, what else uh, does Unigestion bring to NAP? So first of all, I think uh, almost from from the from the first dialogue with Kim and his team, it, it has been a true partnership. And I think this is something that we felt is quite unique uh, in their approach. They fully understand where we are coming into our second fund. So they understand the reality of where we are. We're not in our third, fourth or fifth fund yet. So I think the whole calibrating element that Kim and his team understand what it means to be investing in, in, in funds like us, 
that partnership is also something that creates sparring uh, uh, between us, and and I think we can learn a lot uh, still from uh, from from key profiles like Unigestion in the market in order for us to to really truly establish the full foundation of what Nordic Alpha will be on the long run. So, so really from day one we felt this being a partnership, um, and and we actually have quite a lot of dialogue with Kim uh, on uh, on an ongoing basis. Right, and and Kim, just just here finally. I mean, you mentioned before um, that you look for you know very sort of niche or unique um, approaches, both to value creation, but also to other things in the industry. Again, just maybe a few comments on what made NAP stand out among other sort of players in the green tech space. I think what, what what I mean the positioning that they're doing, and again, I think uh, I mean uh, I don't want to paraphrase too much what Laurie said said already, but the fact that they have such a very long DD process uh, with uh, with the target companies that they you know they work very closely with the founder you know six to twelve months uh, before actually putting the money in the company is you know it, it is fairly unique and they can do that because you know they understand the pain points for for those companies and they have also a different 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 toolkit so I think that really stood out and, and also you know what 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 we really like is that Again, they don't, they really invest in, in companies where you see that the traction is here and that the scalability is also, you know, that there is also a clear path towards scalability. Um, scalability. So I think that's a good, you know, that's the good mix of, you know, risk return profile that, that we felt was, was the best here and that we also felt on the other side that, you know, VC was, was not the right thing for, for our program. So, so that's really why we really picked them. Okay, and Lois, I understand. Also, I mean, before we 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 end off, um, this sort of um, it almost sounds like a proprietary value creation model. But are you sort of open and transparent about it, or or is it kept to yourself? We are actually. Um, it's uh, thanks for that question. We um, we actually believe that that some of the ideas that that we have that enables the de-risking and and the creation of hyper growth for hot tech and green tech companies is. Is is something we really want to share. So so we're actually planning out to come up with a book to really share the the proprietary models. And and we're actually also working with both Copenhagen Business School in Denmark and also the Danish Technological University in order for them to integrate these both into the innovation uh, to ensure that they do green tech innovations at the Danish Technology University that actually have the right characteristics to lead these transformations. And on top of that, how to enable uh, the talents that are coming out of this with the right toolkit to really cope with these four realities. Um, I think much of the conventional business theory can be paralyzing. Just and as an example, the, the classical governance model um, where you meet on a board every three months. If you have a company that is exposed to these four realities, hard tech, hyper growth, disruption, and transformation at the same time, if your governance structure is supporting that through a three months board cycle, I think that governance model becomes very ineffective. It becomes more of a controlling element and it becomes a value element, which is super important that the board also plays in uh, when you're in this critical growth phase. So I think what we're trying to do is actually share these things, but also share the language and the realities around the green tech value of death. A lot of people are talking about it, but I hope with the things we're doing and the things we're promoting with the book, we can also get a different language in that other funds can utilize and even replicate if they want to. So, so, uh, so no, we're not keeping this to ourselves. Um, we also believe that there are some things here that that can help help both the general industry, but also uh, competing funds if if they want to use some of the same tactics and ideas. 
And now it's uh, just to touch on the uh, w- one of the exits that you made uh, recently. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that a bit? Yes. Um, thanks uh, for asking that question. Um, yes, we sold um, a German asset called Wytherian to Tesla in June. Uh, and maybe a little on the background, uh, referencing the whole s- journey for us with this asset. Um, we invested back in 2019. The asset was brought forward to us by a German early stage investor who wanted somebody to have more hands-on um, approach to investing uh, and scaling the company. The company only did 400k euros the year before we came in, but we clearly saw that uh, that this asset, which is at that time was one of the pioneers within wireless charging. So essentially inductive charging, being able to do that, but focusing on the industrial space. We saw actually early stage traction and interest for the market saying this is actually completely de-risk. They had one KUKA, the largest robotic company in Europe. So we said, okay, this is really going into the scaling phase. So we went in in the strategy process. During that uh, investment process, there were several other investors but the founders and the other investors had decided to go with us um, and actually on a 40% discount versus other term sheets. So we actually also came in with exclusivity, but also at, at a discounted price. That was back in 2019. Now this year, they would have done 14 million euros um, and we exited to Tesla uh, that uh, that came in pre-summer here, uh, fairly aggressive into, into, into uh, and, and we exited the company at an 8.8 time uh, revenue multiple, which was a very, very good deal for us. So so a very good example of, of us coming in, scaling the company from being very local to 33 countries, being the industrial leader within wireless charging, having seven large automotives of customers that have adopted this wireless charging into, into their factories. And then Tesla coming in saying, okay, we'll pivot this from being industrial technology to now going into EVs and, and do wireless charging for, for EVs. Very impressive, Lars. And I think a great example of what uh, NAP's DNA uh, is, uh, so to speak. But again, like the 40% discount, how was that achieved? I mean, was that by coming in very, very early, working with the company for a long time? So we actually, um, we didn't have uh, a 12 month period with this company. Uh, they were actually doing quite well uh, very early in the in their establishment. So, so the founders were actually quite clear saying, we will go with Nordic Alpha, but you need we need to complete the strategy process in a fairly swift time. So we had a pretty intense that destroyed a whole summer for me, I can tell you. Uh, uh, the Nordic summer is a little earlier than the, than the Southern German one, uh, but we actually managed to get everything in place around this. And they said, if you can do that, we'll tear apart the alternative term sheets and, and we'll work forward on this. But they really liked the model. And I think what they really liked was that even pre-term sheet, we started the strategy process with them. So we really said, okay, imagine you would reorganize your business based on these models that we would create the fundamentals of your technology really shaping in in, by, by using these type of models. And what the result was that we actually outsourced the production at that time. We actually redesigned the product to have uh, more of the capabilities to, to be adopted into the market. And we did some some very aggressive things if you consider how young the company was. But that really built a platform for them to be a no-brainer. Wireless charging at the same effect of a cable is essentially a no-brainer. And that's what we achieved in the first six to nine months, which was the output of the strategy process. And from that point, the companies just started winning massive corporates that were adopting this technology into, into their industrial deployments, into their factory and logistical deployments. Very interesting. Thank you so much, uh, both for your time. Uh, Lauritz, uh, Mark Sørensen from Nordegal for Partners and Kim Pashon from Unigestion. Thank you. Thanks again to Kim and Lauritz for a really fascinating conversation. Now, Gustav, based on what we've just heard there from, from your interview, it's probably worth asking or thinking about 
just why more established GPs aren't setting up similar strategies. I know we spoke a little bit about it um, ahead of the interview and obviously GPs ranging from KKR to Argos, which you do have impact strategies and dedicated sort of somewhat green strategies, but no manager to my knowledge has maybe gone as granular as, as green tech in this space in a similar way to Nordic Alpha Partners. And I wonder if you can you know, speak a bit about that or tell me why you think that that is. Uh, sure. Um, I think... Um you know, uh, obviously there can be uh, tons of different reasons, but I think one of the ones that come across the most to me when I speak to the market and, and, and some of the players like uh, like Lawitz and um, and Kim is that um, some of the conventional models, if we as, as we've said before, might not be you know suited to deal with you know the vast amount of complexities that are in this green tech space. Um, you know, there's several different things happening at the same time, like Laura's also touched on. I mean, you have excessive growth, you have very difficult sort of industries, very difficult markets sometimes. And there's a whole, you know, adoption phase that also takes a lot of um, skill to navigate. Um, and, you know, I think if the alternative investment space is really to, 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 to deliver both on impact and, and, you know, deliver some of the solid returns um, in this sort of growth Face, they really need to uh, to rethink um, the model that they're using. Just as you know, I think uh, Nordic Alpha Partners is quite a good example of you know someone who's um, established a new sort of uh, maybe even standard in the space. And it's actually quite impressive that you know Unigestion managed to uh, to find that in an emerging manager. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting uh, and really exciting to see how much impact they can create together, um, and you know how much of a difference essentially they can make. Yeah, I think just talking about emerging managers is also a super interesting topic. And then when there's this intersection of that difference and, and the impact that could be made, um, it's it's fascinating. And we're actually at a point in the current cycle where many have said private equity is being compelled to rethink quite a lot about its traditional approach to investing, um, whether it's around value creation or the use of leverage. So it's a really fascinating topic and it feels like one of the few bright spots in the current environment um, when it comes to to fundraising and, and deal making, I think. Yeah, you're right. Because I mean, what we've seen, you know, just in the last few months, maybe from the beginning of the year is that many established funds even have struggled, maybe, I mean, not struggled, but at least had some challenges in terms of fundraising out there. And and that's why it's it's also quite impressive to see Nordic Alpha Partners, you know, already surpassing the first uh, fund they had with their first close recently. And I think um, it just really sort of cements, you know, the hunger out there uh, from LPs um, to find these kind of niche uh, managers. Of course, because there's risk associated with that. Um, LPs were already having a tough time uh, kind of, you know, committing for re-ups for their existing relationships. So to find new relationships and with emerging managers, um, you know, is something they will they will want to be doing, but it, it does have its challenges. So yeah, absolutely. It'll be fascinating to see how, how all of this develops. Good. We will wrap up there uh, for now, I think. But thank you um, again to, to Kim and Lauritz. And thank you, Gustav, for joining me on the podcast. It's been great to have you. Anytime. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you again in the next episode.